of Philemon in your New Testament, and uh, that's where we will be. Right, Philemon. Right after the book of Titus, between Titus and Hebrews. One chapter book, 25 verses. Book of Philemon. I appreciate that. Sorry, I don't know. I have a failure on this. Help me keep an eye on that. I'm invariably needing it. And unwrap them. So I don't send them everywhere. Uh, Philemon. A little unusual this morning in the uh, the way I'm going to be delivering this. And uh, term homiletics means the art of preaching. And it has to do with the way you deliver message. Homiletically, it's a little different setup than normal. And uh, the name for that, but as I was going through the book of Philemon, I'll tell you how the message came about this morning. As I was studying in, uh, in my early morning studies, I was uh, actually in a different part of the Bible. I got done, and I tried to take just a few moments to stop and think afterwards and kind of get an impression from the Lord you know, about what I just read and maybe what He's wanting to, for me to bring to the church. You understand it's an ongoing, always ongoing process feeding the flock of God. I have, of course, Sunday schools and write the curriculum for those and that, and then Sunday morning and Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then during the school year, Tuesday and Thursday chapel. And so each of those uh, different messages and then uh, things I want to share with the uh, teachers at teachers meeting and such. And I was sitting there and the book of Philemon came to mind and I thought, well, that's interesting. And so I looked and I just started into it. And I had to I had to leave. I had to leave my office at the house and uh, because it was because of chapel time I had to leave. I said, oh man, I've got to go where I'm going to be late to chapel and i got to, got to make it. And uh, so I took off and all day. I was wanting to get back to it. I got back and I read the book of Philemon. It doesn't take a long time, obviously. And uh, I thought, okay, Lord, that's, uh, that's going to be a three-minute sermon, man. It's going to be good. People will be happy. Uh, but I thought exactly what, you know, what do you want me to do with this. And then I, <clears throat> I thought, well, I just sat and started reading it and went through in the next couple of days and Lord kept giving me things. I thought, Lord, where do I cut it off? That's going to be a 40-minute sermon. And uh, so anyway, uh, to this morning, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take you through a couple of different things that are going to familiarize you with some of the people and then a few of the phrases that are used in this book. And then I'm going to read it with you in kind of a narrative style showing you some of the truths in this book of Philemon. It's an amazing account of a servant that had left his master's service and had run away by the name of Onesimus. And when he, he was put in jail for some reason, and there he met Paul. And uh, Paul was able to lead him to Christ and then uh, actually disciple him some. And, and this account is the letter that's being sent back. What it was, it was being sent back to the Onesimus's Master, the man who uh, who had who he worked for, that he was that he was uh, indebted to for his service, and that's not been an unusual thing through history. Some type of an indentured servitude or that sort of thing, where you work for a number of years and you are you are supposed to be with that one person. And uh, 
Philemon was the man that Onesimus had worked for, and Paul knew him also. And it's kind of neat how the Lord brought it all together. But I'm going to show you some of these things. And the message this morning, the title of it, and it'll be important for you to understand exactly what I think the Lord showed me in this, is defining Philemon. Defining Philemon. And it is, you'll see in a moment, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at this and we're going to, Find out scripturally, I think it'll lead us to see what defines us also. And uh, just some amazing things in this little book, and it's a wealth of, wealth of things in it. Let's pray with me, and we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the good song we just heard. Thank you for the songs we were able to sing and be a part of. Thank you for the good offertory chosen that made us think of you. I pray now you help me to guide your people in your word to give that which is most useful and uh, what you want given to your people today and in a way that's clear and easy to be understood. Lord, I pray that they'll take the initiative, the action, the uh, energy to be alert and to uh, pay attention to what's said. And Lord, may much good be done because of it, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Interesting. First thing I want to talk to you about are the people in the book of Philemon. I'll just give you the verses and, and where they show up. The first person is the first word of the book, and that's Paul. And uh, Paul's name means little. That's what Paul means. And uh, his name had been Saul. He was identified as Saul of Tarsus. Saul was not an uncommon name. And uh, God changed his name when God started using him and started... Uh, uh, expanding his life for the service of the Lord, he changed his name to Paul. And there's a Saul in the Old Testament. And I know for those of you who came up in Sunday school around church, this seems silly to you, but it isn't. Trust it from somebody who didn't come up in those circumstances. I've had adult people of good understanding and such, new to their Bibles. They see Saul, back King Saul, and then they hear about Saul of Tarsus, and they ask, is that the same fella? And you know your Bible, you know there are centuries and centuries separating and there's a vast difference. Somebody doesn't know it. May I be profound here? They don't know it. <laughs> and uh, so that isn't, that isn't something they know. Well, Paul means little. And I think it's very interesting his name is because when God really started starting using him, what Paul had to find out was that he was little. By the way, his namesake, Saul, King Saul, King Saul quit being useful to God when he ceased to be little in his own eyes. So it's kind of interesting the way that works. And, uh, and so you have Paul. Another fellow in there in verse 1 also is Timothy. The name Timothy means dear to God. And uh, so there's, a, there's an affection there. I think even more than just the affection God has for us all, but uh, Timothy was dear to God. He was useful. Paul sent him to different churches and he helped and he went in the works that had been established and, and strengthened them. And, uh, and was useful in the ministry that way. Then, in verse 2, you have, a, uh, you have a fellow there by the name of Aphia. And Aphia is a, or a fellow, I said it's a lady, Aphia, and her name means fruitful. Thank God for sisters in Christ and what they do for the work of the Lord. Uh, someone said to me recently they appreciate being in a church that follows a biblical pattern that has male leadership in it and men are there. Our church, we're blessed proportionally with a high number of men in our church. It's pretty amazing. One of the statistics I get every week along with just general uh, statistics on attendance and such is how many men there are in, in, in any service and that sort of thing. And uh, 
not unusual for upwards of 25% or, uh, of, the, of the crowd to be adult men. I've seen it as high as 30 and 35%. And so uh, proportionately, we have that, and I'm glad for that. I'm thankful for you. I appreciate it. But never forget that so much good and so much has been done in the Lord's work by the ladies of God. And uh, it gets all distorted and messed up when churches take things into their own hands and seem to follow the trends of society where this one clamors for special attention and that one clamors for special rights and all of them miss the point of what the Creator made us for. And uh, churches have followed that. And you get in these places that are uh, where the women are in charge of everything and the men just show up and do whatever or you don't hardly have any men. That's a mess. God's not in it. But God intended for the ladies to have a great influence in the body of Christ. Probably her influence, a godly lady's influence, is probably most akin to the influence of the Holy Spirit in, in the work of God. It's that strong influence for good and right that's there. Godly ladies have a great influence, and I'm glad for it. We see many of them in the Bible, and I thank God for it. And so you have her. Then you have Archippus, and, or maybe Archippus. It's interesting. The most literal definition of his name is horse ruler. And not meaning a ruler that's lost his voice, but a horse, and talking about the animal, or the master of the horses. Now, I think that's very interesting. Look at verse 2. It says, Our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier. That term fellow soldier is used twice in this little book, but the term fellow soldier is put to this horse master. So he's a cavalry guy, I guess. I, I don't know. And, uh, but it's interesting Someone who has abilities to deal with what was a very powerful and a very revered animal at the time. And I'm not talking about revered in the sense of idolatry. I'm not using that terminology with it. I'm talking about their usefulness and their worth in so many areas, uh, agriculturally and militarily and such, was just phenomenal. I mean, if you had mounted troops, you were at such a distinct advantage in most terrains, not all terrains, was that true? But it gave your gave your military such an advantage. And uh, this man was the was the horse ruler. He was somebody who could take these powerful beasts and he could work with them. And someone who had maybe some some ability with him. Thank God for that. We need that. We need people like that in the Lord's work. Have you ever seen? I'm not a horse person myself. How many of you really really like horses? I mean, not just. I think they're pretty. I think they're a very magnificent animal. But how many of you actually like them, riding them, working with? Them? Okay, and, and there are many, many people like that. I'm not one of them. I I'll leave that to y'all. And I'll ride them. Uh, we reciprocally terrorize each other the moment I get on one. Really? Really. Uh, last three horses I was on. The last one was named Chief. He was very large. And he was down at the Spotted Horse Ranch outside of Lauraville. By the way, whatever sadistic person did the trails for that riding place cut off the saplings about that high off the ground and cut them in an angle all along the trail. And I get on this horse, and I'm naturally nervous when I got a horse anyway. And I, he, was, he was a good horse until he went nuts. And I'm looking along the trail thinking good they put punji sticks and that's what I need my wife had a horse named Jack yeah my wife came up around horses and they had a dispute of authority which she eventually won but her horse Jack he uh, took her under a tree yeah she had on Luke's cowboy hat Luke was quite a bit young at that time and he had he was under 18 so he had to wear a helmet 
Right, always a good day. I need body armor. And the, the helmet came off of my wife, or the helmet, the hat came off my wife. And remember I told you about old, old Chief? I mean, he's big. And by the way, that was back before my current condition. So when they saw me, it's like, oh, look, here comes Hoss Cartwright. Don't give him a pony. And so they put me on this. But I've been pretty impressed with this horse because a big old horse fly bit him right on the neck. And I saw that thing land. I thought, I'm dead. It's over. And he just did that. And I smacked it for him, got it off him. And I thought, oh, he's going to be a good horse. He was fine. He wasn't distracted by the other horses. Nothing. But that white hat. some reason that was more than he could handle so what did he do well what he did he <laughs> since you ask he stuck his neck out ears went up eyes bugged out and i thought oh no and he just turned right and took off at a dead run <laughs> the only problem was wasn't nothing there but woods i mean you're down below lauraville he went down one ravine went up the next ravine went over another one he said, did he dislodge you? No. I lost the reins as soon as he took off. Lost my mind shortly after that. I don't want to be thrown to the ground, which was probably the safest place I could have been. So instead, I grabbed the saddle horn with both hands, with this death grip, appropriately named. Literally, I got back on the trail. After I, he came back to the trail, my wife asked me if I was all right, and I had literally broken branches with my teeth. Smack just drove me face first through everything. As I mentioned, I am quite an equine fan. And uh, two horses before that, actually there was a couple between them, but the other two I have remembrance of. Uh, One threw me and I landed on a little telephone pole that was laying there near my uncle's place. Another one I tipped over on myself. It was trying to go one way, I wanted to go another. I jerked real hard and we both fell over. And so, and uh, not not good experiences with that. So I admire someone who can handle the horses. And uh, I get nervous after a while. I'm okay. You know, I, I get numb or something, you know, but they're just, it's not a great deal of fun to me. I'm just wondering what they're going to do and what I'm not going to be able to handle. How many of you remember, have you, did you ever see Ben, that huge horse that used to be up in Holmes County? There's another one there. It's not quite as large as Ben was, but Ben was massive horse. I mean, just massive. I wish I could call out all his numbers right now. I know he was, uh, he was in excess. He was like 3,100 pounds, 20, 31, 32, he was around there. And uh, I'd go, and he was huge. He was just huge. Feed him carrots, and he'd be in that thing where they had up there at Hershberger's farm. And I went to see him one day. He went in his pen. I said, oh, Ben's not there. And one of the obvious guys was going along. He said, oh. He says, you can see him. And so we went around, and he was in the barn, their big barn they had. There's an Amish girl. She's about that tall, literally. Okay, about that tall? About that tall. Well, barefoot. <laughs> She's got Ben. She's got a hold of his bride. She's not even up to his muzzle. I'm not up to his muzzle. He's huge. I mean, he was a huge horse. And she's just taking him, doing stuff with him. He started back up and she, no, made him, and he behaved her. <coughs> Look at that. Scared me to death. I told my wife, I said, I got to get out of here. She said, well, and, and by the way, worst thing of all, little baby Amish girl, you know, and uh, she's taking care of him, and I wanted to get a picture. And so I'm getting a picture with him a little bit in the background. And she says to me in her sweet little voice, it's okay, sir. You can get close to him. You don't have to be scared. <laughs> I went somewhere else. and I, I found, found some goats or something that couldn't stomp on me. 
Then you have Onesimus, and he's the one of the main people in the in this account, and is the servant that left. But it's interesting; his name is profitable. That's what the name means. Onesimus means profitable. I look at these names, thinking different things with it. Uh, I didn't think of all that with the horses when I was doing that, but y'all look a little sleepy, and you look better now. Um, Onesimus means profitable, and I got thinking about that one with John. I thought, well, I'd like to be profitable for the Lord, and uh, I'd like to be profitable. Uh, for my family and profitable to people I meet and be, be a help and a blessing to them. And then Epaphras was there. This means lovely. Uh, this is a man, and that term's not in any way inappropriate. In fact, uh, one of the uh, references in the Old Testament would actually is a prophecy towards Christ. It says uh, in the Song of Solomon, referencing the lover in the Song of Solomon and then also what Christ would be like. It says he is altogether lovely. And so what that means is very fitting, very, uh, uh, very, very attractive in all that he does. And, uh, and so that was Epaphras. Then you have Marcus. And that's the Latin term for Mark. And uh, it's believed that this is John Mark, who we know in the Bible. Of course, God used to pen the book of Mark. And uh, Marcus or Mark means a defense. And that's a good one. I got to think about that. I thought we ought to be a defense for those we have influence with. We ought to be a defense. And, and gentlemen, we should be a defense with what comes into our home. Mamas, you ought to be a defense for your kids. And be careful what you bring in and what you allow there, what you let the young guys see. And so it's a defense. And then Aristarchus, he's interesting. It, it's, it's interesting. Best ruling. He's a man of Macedonia. And uh, best ruling, here's someone with administrative skills, at least that's what his name would depict. Someone who knows how to rule. Uh, that's not the idea of tyranny. That's not the idea of domination. But it's someone who knows how to administrate and how to lead and how to get something done. We need that done in a godly servant heart, with a godly servant heart. We need leaders within church. We need leaders within our world, within our society and on jobs within our government, surely, and uh, thank God uh, for every person in a leadership situation that really wants to do their job well. We're blessed, and we thank God for brothers and sisters in Christ who have positions of responsibility and leadership. And may God give them grace to do the right things in sometimes high-pressure situations. But I'm also grateful for those who try to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do and who try to follow uh, that which has been set down and that which is right. I'm glad for uh, political and civil leaders who recognize our Constitution for what it is, the supreme law of our land. The supreme law of our land is not any person. The duty of a president is to uphold and defend the Constitution, not issue mandates like a tyrant. And this needs to be understood. This needs to be said. And uh, I thank God that there may, there's some people who don't know the Lord the way we would like and wish for them to know the Lord for their, um, for their good and for God's glory, but yet they try to be honest and do what they do, and I'm glad for them also. That's a good thing when you have that. Then you have Demas, which means a governor of the people. That's an interesting one. Demas is an interesting study in the Bible. At one point, Demas leaves, doesn't he? It says, Demas has forsaken me. And then it tells why, having loved this present world. And at that time, others had left, not for that reason. And Paul found himself alone, which he did on more than one occasion. But then later, Demas shows up. And here, he shows up. He's useful with that. 
And then you have Lucas, which means life-giving, is what that root word means. Uh, and so you have these. These are the people in there. Then you have some terms. Look at this. Look in verse 1. Philemon uh, there means... Uh, and by the way, I, I skipped him. I meant to do him last. So you do it. Uh, Philemon means friendly. Means friendly. And uh, be good to be friendly. I've never forgotten the uh, lesson I learned as a young teenage preacher. And it has served me well in this town. It opens many, many doors of opportunity here and other places I frequent. Gary Brown was the uh, pastor of the uh, First Church of God in West Liberty, Kentucky. And I was holding revival. I've told you about it down there as a teenager. And it was supposed to be a three-day meeting. God blessed. And people started getting saved. We held it over. Went through the whole week and had a lot of opportunity down there preaching on radio. They brought in the entire public high school and uh, had them all come to the gym. I got to preach to them. And uh, just it was an interesting time. We'd go walking around a little town in West Liberty, Kentucky. And uh, everybody, Brother Brown would pass. He'd, how you doing today? And he'd call them out and that. And uh, knew everybody. Had a lot of opportunity. And I watched him. The way he interacted, he was always getting the gospel. And I think I learned a lot from him about this and doing it as far as dealing with people. And he looked over at me as we were walking up the hill towards the courthouse that's in the middle of the, of the little town there. And uh, he said to me, he looked over me, called me Brother Phil, and he said, Brother Phil, that Eastern Kentucky accent. He said, you know, he says, a lot of preachers miss a lot of opportunity to do good because they just don't know how to be friendly. He said, just saying hi. Just, you know, being courteous. You'd be amazed. Um, there's a lot of people, all they see are harshness and darkness and, you know, a lot of things coming at them. And I'm not talking about being silly or goofy or putting on a show, but just a friendly hello. I watched yesterday. I was talking, there was a young lady working in a place I stopped in. And she was trying to take care of a couple things. And, and she seemed very distracted. And her eyes were cast down like this. I'd given her a gospel track, but then she was, she was just kind of, seemed burdened about something, young girl. And uh, she came last time. I was going to see her before I left the little building there. And I said, uh, I said, hey, I can't. Got her attention. She looked up. I got her to look at her and I, and I said, well, I hope the rest of your Saturday goes well. So I really hope you get to have a good day the rest of your day. It, 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 was, it was amazing. She just stepped back. She smiled. You see her shoulders drop. They'd been like this. She said, thank you so much. You say, our goal isn't to go out here and be charming. If so, I'm afraid we might fail at it miserably. But wouldn't it be a whole lot better to be representatives of our Lord and be that way towards people? Wouldn't that be a good taste, a good representative of, of Christ? And so that's, uh, may God help us do that. And I watch for that because I have a natural scowl. My wife tries to help me with that. She really does. My forehead wrinkles easily. And I look like an unhappy Rottweiler. And uh, I understand that. And uh, one time I was going through a place and people were moving. And I said, where are people moving? She said, do you know how you look right now? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Tone it down. I guess it, I wasn't trying to. And I wasn't upset about anything. It just, just uh, does. So... Uh, I just, I'm just saying it would help us to be friendly. When he said, well, I'm just not naturally friendly. Well, then be unnaturally friendly, I guess. Um, 
But let's look at some of the phrases here with it and uh, some of the things in here. We could, we could just do, we could do well with that, I think. Uh, in verse 1, he says, Dearly beloved, Philemon, our dearly beloved, a family of God should become precious to us. Uh, do you know your church family? I'm not talking about... Look, you look at the preacher who doesn't believe for a second that everybody's going to be equally close with everybody else. Or now and then I hear something almost scolded from a pulpit and say, well, you ought to know everybody. No, it doesn't work that way. Now, if clicks mean you're being, you know, excluding people and, you know, you think you're kind of an elite, then you've got a problem. But people say, well, you got this group tends to be together. Yeah, we ought to pay more attention to each other. But you know, the reason why they do is because they have something in common or they get along well together. That's normal among humans. It's all right. Uh, it's not the church's job to pick your friends for you. It is the preacher's job to preach the word to you, to warn you about ungodly alliances because that's scriptural, and to remind you that your first responsibility and uh, your first uh, your first uh, opportunity is towards Christ and Him what you should be. But you're not going to get along with everybody the same. You may have even people that your personality doesn't blend well with. Do you know you can actually decide to love people, in other words, have their good in mind, without liking them in particular? Uh, if you don't know that, you don't know very many people. <laughs> but we could certainly try to know our church family. It's not like you're going to get lost in the crowd around here. You can know the people. And... Uh, well, to care for one another and, uh, and, and be a place where God's people mean something to us. And uh, they become dearly beloved. My church family is family to me. And uh, I'm grateful for it. It's not that way just because I'm the pastor. Obviously, I have a heart towards you as, as a shepherd of the flock, as I should have. And I need to have more of one, honestly, I believe. But um, even as a teenager, I remember the precious people there where I got saved in Camden. And uh, people in that church, I could sit, start calling out some names right now if I wanted to. They would mean anything to you. It mean something to my wife. Would bring back some good remembrances for her, as we were teenagers there together. But uh, some people in that church, you know what they were? They were dearly beloved, still precious in my memory. And you know, when we got to see Pal Peak the one time, uh, while wow, good while back, and hadn't seen him forever, you run into some of these people still serving the Lord. You're glad for them. And then it says in, uh, in, in, in verse uh, uh, 1 also, it talks about fellow laborers. And uh, I like that. Um, look in 1 Thessalonians 5. Don't lose your place there. We'll be coming right back to Philemon. And he can be a slippery little thing to find again. 1 Thessalonians 5. It says fellow laborers. That's the common work. So by putting an effort into things. And by the way, there's a fellowship that comes from laboring together that nothing else can give. And it's a good thing. First Thessalonians 5, verse 12. It says, We beseech you, brethren, to know them that labor among you. So they're among you, and they work side by side with you. And are over you in the Lord. They have a leadership that God's given for them to guide the, uh, the congregation. And admonish you. So they teach you in the instruction things. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. By the way, that's one of the shortest pathways to a peaceful congregation is to be 
in harmony and in line with those scriptures with that. Then when we go to verse 2 there in Philemon, we have Archippus, who I took time to illustrate some things with there. And he's called our fellow soldier. He's a co-campaigner. Someone that we, we've, we share the hardships with, that we go through the battles with. And uh, he's a fellow soldier with that. I thought it's kind of interesting talking about the soldiers with Christ. You don't have to go back far to find 2 Timothy. Look in 2 Timothy 2. Let's go back to your left just a little bit there. 2 Timothy 2. This concept of us as believers being soldiers. 2 Timothy 2. Look in verse 3. It says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. In other words, you don't get yourself all twisted up in them where you can't make any progress and where you can't go forward. I was putting in, doing some fencing on our property where part of our fence had been destroyed by Little Creek. And back in there, there's those little saw briars along the way. And I was doing working with the fence and cutting some things away and stepped back into those. Man, uh, you know, of course, I got sense enough, you know, you back up out of briars because the way they're hooked, but they were going every which way. So, no matter which way I backed, I got into more of them. And uh, they got all tangled up in there. And that's the idea of being entangled. Don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life. Don't let it overcome you. Don't let it over, uh, encumber you along the way. Why? That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I like think one of the greatest uh, examples of that is uh, their carelessness when it comes to indebtedness. Been many a person who's wanted to serve the Lord, and maybe somebody that God's touched their heart to go to the mission field or go start a work, and they can't do it because they owe so much to so many people. Whereas if they had not entangled themselves and had chosen to pay for what they get, pay as they go, they would be a lot more free to serve the Lord. Can I say to you how we had some struggles uh, for many years? Uh, from choices made and things that happened with us as we were paying things off. And, and it affects you. It affects your, your usefulness. And so, um, he not entangle himself. I put this down. There's the duty of a soldier. The duty of the soldier is to endure, endure hardness while remaining a good soldier. I'll tell you one of the things that's causing our um, Christianity in America to become such a weak thing is just the general lack of ability to endure hardness that we see. People have money sent to them electronically that they didn't work for by their government. And actually, it's other people's money because the government has no money. And uh, they print it, but they don't have it. Actually, they don't print it. The Federal Reserve prints it. But that's a different subject. And uh, people who never worked for it, they're not drawing Social Security based on the horrible investments that the government made with their money all their life. Um, but they are, uh, but they draw money they never worked for, getting checks they never worked for, and, and, and they dare to call it a paycheck. You'll hear them say that. I'm waiting for my paycheck. No, you're not. It's not your paycheck. You didn't work for it, and it's not a paycheck. What you're waiting for is somebody else's money that's been confiscated from them and given to you. And so, that's uh, this thing with this is uh, endure. People, people can't even stand that kind of speech. You're scared to death. Are you allowed to say that? Check it out. I'm allowed to say what I say. Oh, I know. And, and it just infuriates me for Americans to even talk or think that way. 
And, and it's sad to me for, for Christians to be cowed down and not speak about God and the Bible and Jesus Christ. Well, some Muslim next to you has got his prayer rug out and everything else, and you're being quiet because you don't know if you're allowed to say it. God help us. Let's talk with it. Now, just one opinion at a time here. And uh, so they, <coughs> and so what happened? <coughs> this uh, the guy endure hardness. People say things against you. You got to take a stand for your faith. Somebody you love dearly goes out of the way. A child decides to set aside everything they've been taught from the Scripture. How about some hardness? How about some strength inside to keep going on for God? Because God's worthy of going on for. May God help us to have His strength and grace to do it. And may we never feel that we should or could brag about such a thing, but may we be dependent on Him. And so there's the endurance. And by the way, enduring hardness is a good soldier. Remaining a good soldier while you're enduring the hardness. Not misbehaving, not, not doing something wrong, not using hardness that comes towards us as an excuse to be hard towards others. There's a difference between strength and a firm stand and being hard and harsh and, uh, in a way that we shouldn't be. And so may God help us to be a good soldier and endure hardness. Then <clears throat> the purpose of a soldier, the duty of a soldier is to endure hardness. The purpose, according to that verse, is to please Him that hath chosen Him. Our purpose is to please God. Tell me your name again. Luke. Luke. Okay, that's easy enough. Luke, that's Luke. Luke, that's Luke. All right, so there you go. <laughs> we have a very, very bright pew right there. Uh, Two Lukes I'm on Adam. it. The, you're Adam. Yeah, there you go. He, he came first. <laughs> yeah, behave yourself or I'll send you back to the garden. They, uh, <laughs> Luke, I don't know you. You visited a couple of times. Right? How old are you? 21. 21. All right, there you go. Hey, there you go. And uh, don't know don't know anything about you, but I can tell you this for sure, based on the Word of God. Uh, God's purpose for you is for you to please Him. I don't know particulars of life. I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know if you do anything for a living. Yeah, but uh, I assume you. I assume you do. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know your behavior patterns, anything like that. But I can tell you this: your Creator, your purpose is to serve your Creator. That's, that's what I made you for. And so anything that takes you down that path, going that direction, it's a good thing to go down, a good thing to follow. And that's the purpose of a soldier, is to do that. May God give us godly soldiers to do what we ought to do. May he raise them up, whether it be a young man like this 21-year-old or an elderly fellow like this 24-year-old down here. I, that's right. There you go. I love it. Um, and so you have that. Then you have a fellow prisoner. Uh, let me show you this. In 2 Corinthians 5, and you understand Paul... 2 Corinthians 5, Paul was a prisoner, seemed to be a form of almost a... Uh, he had a freedom within his imprisonment when he was at Rome for a long time. He had a, he had a freedom to receive people and teach and had some freedom with that, although he was not a free man, but yet he could deal with people. Uh, that wasn't the case every time he was in prison. But he would speak of being a prisoner for Christ and it was more than just the fact that preaching had landed him in, in jail, 1 Corinthians 5, is, I said 2 Corinthians. I, did I say first? What did I tell you? Did I tell you second? Okay, no, no, I'm confused. All right, 2 Corinthians 5. Get me back on track here. And uh, look at verse 14. Paul, through his epistles, will speak about being a prisoner of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about with that? It's not just the bonds that he endured as a... Uh, 
as as a, an apostle, and God told him he was going to, have to that was going to be part of what happened with him, and it was. But look at verse fourteen and pay attention to these words: "For the love of Christ, look at the word, constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for how many, not a few, all." And all that all means is all. If one died for all, watch it, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And so here's why we should live. And it's outlined. But notice the phrase, the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constrain means to be arrested or to be taken, uh, uh, to be, uh, taken in as, as a prisoner would be. And Paul said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. He said, it is God's love that holds me stronger than any chain, stronger than any bars, stronger than any confinement you could come up with. He said, it isn't a religious necessity that compels me. It isn't a fear in the sense of fearing destruction. He said, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. Because I thus judge, and he would be one that would judge this way. He said, if Christ died for me, then I, from this point, should live for the one who died for me and rose again. So he said, that constrains me. That keeps me going. That doesn't. Um, we preachers will often say to uh, meeting a man or a young man or even middle aged whatever says that they believe God's called them to preach, we say you better know you're called. I've had people question me about that and I can tell you some details about it. I won't go into it now, but I believe there's ways to know if you are and then I believe it'll be evidenced if you are and I believe God's people will recognize whether or not you are. And so there's some things with it. But we say you better know you're called to that particular work. Something for you to do. Why? Because when it comes down to it, here's all that's going to keep you at it is you have to do it for Christ's sake. Can I tell you that you living for God, whatever you do, whether it's Kelly, while you're teaching your class or whatever you're doing, or working in the police department or in the HVAC or working at your company you do, or whatever you're doing, whatever, wherever I would look, if you're going to live a Christian, as a Christian among this world, and if you're going to do what you ought to do for the Lord, it's going to come down to this. You young people, if you're going to stand, if you're going to, Make a decision in your heart. Listen to my words carefully, for they're very important to me. I hope they are to you. If you're going to determine that Lighthouse is not going to lose any more generations. And if you are going to stay steady for the Lord, then it's going to have to be because it, you do it for Christ's sake. It's going to come down to that. And the love of Christ constrains us. I think God's worth serving. And... Uh, I hope I would serve the Lord no matter what happened. I've thought before, what if my voice no longer worked? You know, you can't pastor a church, not indefinitely if you can't speak. But Lee Robertson lost his ability to speak for a full year. And the church was very large at that time. And those good people stayed alongside him with their pastor. And uh, God gave him his voice back. He had many more years of fruitful ministry there, but you couldn't continue that way indefinitely. I don't know, it might be refreshing to have it gone for a little while, you think? Give you a little break. But um, we ought to serve Christ. The love of Christ constrains me. And uh, so he did that. And, 
uh, I loved, I, I read the statement, uh, Matthew Henry made the statement, he said the apostle argues from, from the point of love rather than authority. And that's what he does. Now I've given you all these things, let's just take just a very few minutes because it's such a short book, let's read through it together. Ready? You just follow along silently, but it'll go long, and I've taught you as I've gone through here, so I'm not going to take a bunch of time with that. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon. You can think about these names and what some of them meant. Our dearly beloved fellow laborer, and unto our beloved Aphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. As these young churches get started, they need to meet somewhere. It was not uncommon to do that in a house. That's kind of funny. There's a house church movement. Been around for a while. It was big in this area. And uh, the house churches and the homeschoolers would get together. It was kind of funny. And uh, they made it their doctrine that the, they called our type of church a public church and said you shouldn't be a part of it. Said it wasn't right. And uh, they're messed up. They, uh, they are. They make, the, they make the dad the priest and they do all this stuff. Anyway, it's, it's messed up. And uh, the house church is. Um, school is a choice if you do it well. Not many people can do it well. And, but uh, it's, it's very taxing. But, it is, uh, but the, the home church stuff is just messed up. That's not what this was. When the group say, no, we're not meeting together. What it was, they, their group was small. They met together. The church over there at Liberty. Um, they, had, they met in somebody's house, started out with. And they got another little house they were in. And they had a building in downtown Camden beside the little diner that was down there and they met in there for a while. As I've told you, when I got there, we were meeting in a barn out of Vonderhaar Farms out off State Route 725. And we cleared land and put up the tent I was telling you about, 30 by 60 tent, big, big orange flowers on it. looked like Woodstock. It was pretty amazing. And then we built the buildings. And uh, he went through all this as the church was going. This church here has been in different places around town before I got here. And, it was over down there on Wheeling Street when I came. And then, of course, we moved here. Uh, none of these buildings were here, but the old building set where that was. And so it's not a matter of the building being it, but the point I'm making here is these folks, when church first got started, they were like Lydia was in the book of Acts, where she opened up her house and said, we can start here. Brother Powell up in Canada. That's how they started somebody's house with that. Been more than one person. They do that. You go in, why, just looking for a place. And I'm glad for somebody who said, hey, uh, I help with what I can help with. We got this place you can meet. Um, I was hearing a man who started a church. He was talking about the early days and became quite a strong church, pretty good size. In the early days, the fellow said, I've got a, got a bar, or like a garage type barn I'm not using. He said, we'll clear out some of the junk in there. And they did so they could meet in there. And they got in and painted the walls and that's where that church started meeting. And they outgrew it. He said, well, why don't we meet in a home today? Is your home big enough for this? If so, you're not tithing. And uh, we'll, uh, no, we, we, don't, we won't all fit in them. And, uh, and so it's in their house with that. Watch this, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Hearing of thy love and faith. So people talked about it. They didn't brag about it. People talked about it which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. People talked about because they were good to people that came through there. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual. In other words, he said, I, I want your, your, what you believe to be able to be transferred or communicated to someone else. Now, I'm not laying the guilt of this, if there is guilt, at the feet of Philemon. But when Paul met Onesimus, Onesimus was lost, didn't know the Lord. 
And even though his name meant profitable, he was unprofitable. And he was in need of God. And Paul was able to lead him to the Lord and able to talk to him. And he, he received the Lord. Now, I'm not laying that here Philemon is, who was his master, and Philemon was a believer. And I'm not blaming Philemon for Onesimus' unbelief. But Paul does write by the Spirit of God and says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual. He said, Philemon, I want your communication of your faith, you communicating it to other people, to be effective, to be effectual, by the acknowledging. Acknowledging means recognizing and responding to something. When you acknowledge something, you recognize it and respond to it. In all thy ways, you know what the word is? Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. It says, by the acknowledging what? Of every good thing which is in you. So living in such a way as we acknowledge the good that's in us through Christ. I wonder what we acknowledge and I wonder what we deny by our living. The acknowledgement which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. That sounds like a little unusual term for us. We phrase it differently. We talk about we felt something in our heart. and We felt it deep within us. That's what that term's talking about in the innermost part. Uh, they're dealing with that. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, that which is convenient. In other words, he said, I could take the liberty to be a bit pressing on this, almost, almost giving an order on it, but he doesn't. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee. He chooses, rather than coming in an authoritative way, he comes in the way of love. Being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, which I have begotten in my bonds. And so he's not his physical son. He's his son in the faith, even as Timothy had been. He, he led him to Christ, and he had that paternal care for him uh, for this. Which in times past was to thee unprofitable. So whatever Onesimus had done, he was unprofitable, even though his name indicated otherwise. But now profitable to thee and to me. Apparently he had seen a real change in his life. Um, read the statement, it says one of the great evidences of true repentance consists in returning to practicing the duties which have been neglected. In other words, there was evidence in Onesimus' life that his faith was real. Is there evidence in your life day by day that your faith is real? What does it mean? Oh, I believe in Jesus and it doesn't affect your day by day behavior. May I say you don't believe much? Real faith in a living God changes our living. That, that message needs to be heard. And he says, he says he was unprofitable, uh, now profitable to thee and to me. Verse 12, whom I have sinned again. So Onesimus is done with whatever time he had to serve, and now he's, uh, Paul's sending him back to Philemon. It says, Thou therefore receive him, that is mine own vows. He says, I want you to receive him. Apparently there was a rift between them. Apparently Onesimus had done something wrong. And Paul says, <clears throat> I want you to take him in. I want you to receive him. <coughs> <Excuse me. clears throat> Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. He said, Philemon, he could have stayed here with me and been useful to me. 
But without thy mind would I do nothing. So he didn't presume upon it. And he respected whatever situation Onesimus and Philemon had. That thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity when being forced into it, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Paul's pointing him to the fact, he said, maybe God's doing something here that you can't see on the surface. And maybe God's doing something in a long-term business. We sometimes get so aggravated with things in life and we get so short with things in life and we get so impatient with things in life and never take into account that maybe God's trying to do something. And maybe He's not using means that we would recognize. Maybe He's not using things we are comfortable with or that we think is timely or orderly in the way we think of things. And yet God's wanting to work. And uh, verse 16, not now as a servant. He said, don't receive him back as a servant. And I love this. The whole book could pivot on this. But above a servant, a brother beloved. He said he left as a servant. Now he comes back as a brother beloved. There's nobody of any background or any uh, upbringing who's truly a child of God that should be considered a stranger or an enemy of us. Thank God for this as a brother beloved for those who love and, and serve the Lord. And uh, he says, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He said this, he's now there and he's different than he was when he left. God made a difference in him. He get back in here now. I like it. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. So there apparently was some kind of strong connection there with Paul and with uh, Philemon. That was not unusual. There were several different folks that were business type people and folks who had some, some wherewithal about them. And Paul ministered to them and they recognized God's hand on him for what was going on. In fact, there were people in Caesar's own household who received Christ. Verse 18, If he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, he said, if he owes you anything, put that on mine account. Apparently Onesimus didn't have anything. He's trying to get started. And he says, you put it on my account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. In other words, he's nudging Philemon to do what he ought to do and take care of it. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. And that's always a good confidence. With all, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. He had a desire for that, didn't he? And then he mentions these people. Salute Epaphras, fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, and my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I want to take about two minutes and tell you an interesting story. Here you have Paul saying about Onesimus, he says, I'll cover for you. He owes you anything. Whatever's happened, he said, I'll do this. Interesting, not exactly the same, but very interesting. You remember Brother Ford that was with us some little while back. You remember Brother Ford being here? I got to, I'm getting, getting to know him. I was talking to him about, and he pastored for a while, and he wanted to start a church. And uh, it's kind of a funny thing he did, but he, he went into the town where he wanted to start a church, and he was looking for a place to meet. And... Uh, he had asked the Lord that day, he said, Lord, he said, I think this is where I'm supposed to be and I think this is down where I'm supposed to start church. He says, let me lead somebody to Christ today if it, here 
let me know, kind of show me here. And they chose to do that a lot of years ago. And he said there was a little building open. Uh, it, had, it had a business in it, but it was sitting mostly empty. And he said he talked, uh, uh, wanted to start the business or start the church there, and he found the fellow who owned it and went and said, this is your building? The fellow said, yeah. And he said, uh, you look at renting it out? And he said, well, no, not really. I don't want to do that. And he said, well, he said, uh, I think the Lord's going to bring me here to start a church. I need a building, and this would work. The fellow said, all right. And he, he rented it to him for like a dollar a month. Wow. The fellow was a Christian man, said, I want you to, he was strong and you know, steady in the church in that area. And, and he said, I want the gospel to go out. And Brother Ford's looking at the building, figuring it out and stuff. And he said, he went around back. And he said, there was a young man, very young man, probably along about your age. And he was laying along the little street there. It was a small town, so it wasn't like a big city environment. So he said, he's laying in the alley back here and just laying there, vomiting on him. Just pitiful look. Brother Ford woke him up, got him up, and the guy came to him and he says, What's going on? I said, I don't know. He says, I was drunk and the guy's a mess. Young fellow. Didn't have a job and through booze had lost anything he had had and was there, had gotten sick on himself and just a mess. And uh, he said the guy sobered up, was able to lead him to Christ. So the guy got cleaned up, they got a horse trough, the guy got baptized. The guy's one of the first members of the church there. Got real faithful. He said he, over the months and year or two, just got a good job and held it down and real steady. Said a couple of years later, maybe a year later when they noticed, but a couple, three years later, uh, he had noticed earlier a young lady that came around those buildings that was the owner's daughter. And the owner... Uh, knew this young man to be a ne'er-do-well guy who was, you know, it's something like that's known in a small town. But the young man, Christ, made such a difference, and he set himself to doing the right thing. Those two end up finding out they attracted to each other, and he and the owner of that building, uh, that young man who had been laying there in his own loft, he ended up marrying that owner's daughter. And as Brother, Brother Ford told me that account last year, he said they, they kept serving the Lord very consistent in their lives. What happened? There was somebody who was unprofitable, a mess. Somebody is easy to discard, but Christ made a difference. Now we know, we all know people who've made boo-hoo religious professions. Some of them, a lot of them. Nothing ever changes. They just live the same despicable life they've been living before. We know that we've had them here. Every church has had them. But just because there are some people who do that nonsense doesn't mean that God doesn't actually change you. And if some of you had the opportunity this morning, you could come up to this microphone and you could verify that God makes a change. And when God makes the change, it's a real change. And it's a lasting change. And here Onesimus was. He, before, even though his name had not been profitable, it became profitable because of Christ. Now, here's my question. We've defined Philemon, defined a lot of things in the book. I wonder what it is that defines us. That's my thought I've had on this. How are we defined to the people in the world in which we live and with whom we interact? How do our words define us? How does our attitude define us? How does our integrity define us? 
May, may God help us. May God help us to be defined by a love for Christ, a willingness to tell others about the gospel. I was talking to a preacher friend of mine. Actually, it was Brother Jenkins. I was, I was talking to him, and he was talking about a businessman he'd been dealing with, and he says, he sat still pretty good. He said he knew I'd be witnessing to him when we talked long enough. Because, and that was up at Gaylord. Why? That's a very, it was a very small town, and his was a very large church up there. And uh, what it was, they expected that this fellow would talk to you about your soul. Maybe somebody at your work that's hoping you do that, that, that they, they believe that you really are a Christian person. They're hoping you say something to them. Don't be afraid to be a witness for Christ. Let's pray together, all right? Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this great account in the Bible. My, just in 25 verses, you put a lot in there. I pray you'll help us this morning to be defined by a love for you and integrity as we walk before you. God, I pray you'll bless your people with a heart for you. I pray that you'll give conviction where it's needed, encouragement, comfort, just exactly what's needed in all parts. Bless this invitation time. May be serious where we're sober before you and consider what you want to do in our lives, please. Amen. Let's stand together.